Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine, nay, my finest friends. Um, welcome to the eighth episode of season four of the Tom Petty Project podcast. I am your host, as always, Kevin Brown. This is the podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. Um, just before we start, uh, I wanted to give you a quick heads up about a couple of great guest episodes that I'll have for you at the end of this season. First of all, I had a chance to speak to the absolutely marvellous Janet Lavelle, who many of you will know well from the Tom Petty Nation. And that episode will be sort of a weird hybrid where I'll have an audio version and a video version um, because Janet showed me a ton of her memorabilia. And a lot of that just won't make the audio edit as it's, it's very visual. So there'll be a different audio version and a visual version or YouTube version. So it's well worth checking both those out because Janet cracked out some fantastic pieces that you're going to love to see. You know, and we spent... I think two hours chatting about Tom and what his music means to us. And as with every Tom Petty fan that I've spoken to so far, it was a pure joy to share that passion with someone else. And Janet was fantastic. You'll love her. The other conversation I had was with Jeff Slate, who's an accomplished musician and journalist who has personal connections to the Heartbreakers and wrote a beautiful tribute to Tom for Esquire magazine the day after we lost him. Most of you will actually have read this piece without necessarily knowing who the author was. Jeff shared a ton of great stories with me and we wandered off down tons of different musical rabbit holes that ended up in, you know, very interesting places. So those two or three episodes, however many, however many episodes it makes up, will release at the end of this fourth season. And of course, we'll also have the album rap episode with my compadre, John Paulson. So now that all those updates are out of the way, let's dig into this gigantic third track from side two of Our Promises, Insider. Don't forget to look for a link to the song in the episode notes and give it a listen before we dig in. <laughs> In the outro to last week's episode, I called Insider probably the best song any band never released as a single. And, you know, that might be a little over the top. Maybe there are other tracks that could claim that title, but I certainly can't think of another Tom Petty song that wasn't released that I think definitely should have been. Now, one reason it wasn't released as a single is that the band simply didn't release ballads or, you know, mid-tempo songs as singles early on in their career. When talking about Insider with Paul Zolo, Tom says they always wanted something more upbeat for the singles. And he mentions that Free Falling was the first time he ever had a ballad out as a single. The other fact to consider is the background behind this song. As Tom relates to Paul in conversations with Tom Petty, Stevie came to me around 78 and she was the absolute stone-gone huge fan. And it was her mission in life that I should write her a song. He goes on to say that we were a little wary of Stevie. We kind of saw this big corporate rock band Fleetwood Mac, which was wrong. They were actually artistic people. A couple of years later, Stevie approached Tom about producing her first solo record, Belladonna, to which Tom tentatively agreed. Tom notes that dealing with girls in the studio is completely different than dealing with guys, and Tom told Stevie that he definitely wasn't the best man to lead the project and recommended Jimmy Iovine, who took over, recording the album. Jimmy then beseeched Tom to write a song for Nick's album, and Tom went away and wrote Insider. He tells Paul Zolo, the title came as I was writing, if I remember correctly. It just came out of the verse. I wrote that on my own at home. I remember spending a good day on it. Let that sink in for just a second. Insider took Tom one day to write. I'm leaving a pause there just to let that sink in. How good this song is, that's a one-shot, one day. It's kind of like a Wildflowers thing, right? Where he sort of writes this unbelievable song in one day. Who does that? Come on, give me a break. 
He goes on to say how much he loved it and that Jimmy just flipped over the song. He thought it was incredible. He said, God, when I asked for a song, I didn't expect this. So Tom cuts the song right then and there on guitar and lays down vocals with Stevie before taking it back to the band to finish up the arrangement and the additional instrumentation. At this point, Tom recalls, I was really attached to it and it really hurt me when I did the track and the vocals. So I said, Stevie, I can't give you this. Nick's reply was, well, I can relate to that. I completely understand. I'll take something else. The something else that Tom gave her was Stop Dragging My Heart Around, though that song had already been cut for Hard Promises. So Jimmy Iovine had Stevie come in and lay down vocals over the completed track, replacing Tom's lead on the verse and singing harmony to Tom's lead in the chorus. On Howard Stern Show in 2017, Jimmy says that he told Stevie that she'd recorded an album that no one would ever hear because there wasn't a hit on it. Stop Dragging My Heart Around went on to become a huge solo hit for Stevie Nicks, propelling her into superstardom outside of Fleetwood Mac. And Jimmy tells Howard Stern, he said to Stevie, if a woman sings an aggressive guy's lyric, that can't miss. So, back to the second reason that I would speculate that Insider wasn't considered for release, the first two tracks from Hard Promises, The Waiting and A Woman in Love, are released on April 20th and June 29th of 1981. Stop Dragging My Heart Around is then released on July 8th. It makes sense to release the two lead tracks from the album as the first two singles, and if you're going to release Insider, release that one as the third. However, there's now a gigantic duo between Tom Petty and Stevie Nicks already flying up the charts, so it would have been difficult to convince the record company to release another one, even though, actually, it's the stronger of the two songs in pretty much every way. This is also why Insider didn't end up on the greatest hits, and why, arguably, it's a far lesser-known heartbreaker song than it should be outside the dedicated fan base. It's quite an incredible origin story for an incredible song. Insider starts out with that very simple acoustic guitar progression accompanied by a Ben Mont organ lead which backs off into a sort of a low octave suspended part through the first part of the first verse. Ron Blair is also adding in the bottom end on bass right from the off to fill out that sonic space and in the second half of the verse, which is basically a pre-chorus and probably that's what I'll call it from now on, Stan comes in on the drums. The organ sits back in the pocket still and there isn't a huge build at this point. We do get a nice trademark Stan Lynch drum fill into the first chorus and then Mike brings in some very delicate broken chords over that chord progression. I've been trying to figure out what guitar it is that Mike's playing in the music video for this one and it looks to me like an old sort of one of those old national steel guitars with a pit guard. And I'm going to have to consult my guitar nerd friends to see if I can track down exactly what model it would be. But the lead in the song has that lovely trebly sound you do tend to get from those guitars. Insider isn't a song that complicates itself musically, yet there are still some really interesting little twists in it. If you listen in the second pre-chorus, Benmont throws some, you know, fat piano chords in that are brought forward only in certain spots, so they're easy to miss. If you listen after the line, I'm the lonely silent one, leading into that next line, I'm the one left in the dust, you can hear that nice bassy piano come in to fill the space between those two phrases. And another nice little touch which Tom often used was leaving a bar or two at the end of a verse or chorus. At the end of the first verse, you get a 4-4 additional bar of that root A chord, but then after the second verse, you get a 6-4 count, which is, you know, a measure and a half leading into the bridge. And I hadn't ever noticed that until tonight, and I've started to always listen for those things now, and I had to count it three times to make sure that I was hearing it right. So listen, go back and listen again and listen for that, because it's really, really cool. Into the bridge, the song moves into leading with the piano, playing those broken chords and adding in the organ during the build-out. Again, I'm struck how expertly Jimmy Iovine was able to get the absolute best out of Benmont's keyboard parts on pretty much every song. 
The keys are definitely doing all the heavy lifting in this song in terms of adding color and filling in the space between the main chords. So there's no solo for Mike here. And if you think about the difference between this era of rock and roll band and the hair metal guys of the 80s and early 90s, you know, your Poisons and your Motley Crues, there would definitely have been a cheesy, soulful guitar solo here. The video would also switch to black and white and throw to a windswept cliff, possibly with a high shot of an eagle circling the crashing waves. You know, pablum. Anyway... Tom always, without fail, thankfully avoided those awful cliched tropes and found a way of giving each section of a song the right amount of weight or personality. And even with no lyrics during that middle eight, the harmonies and the chord progression had all the drama that you need. It's another 10-bar bridge, which, you know, is quite a favourite of the Heartbreakers, with the last chord held for three bars and both Benmont and Stan providing that big finish back into that really stripped-back final verse. And I'll talk about the lyrics later, but what a final verse to drop the tempo back into. That lead-off line alone is better than most songwriters will ever write in their entire lives. And it's just one of so many perfect lines in this song. Alrighty, folks, it's time for some... What is it time for? Ah, some petty trivia. Okay, last week's question was this. In which of the following countries did the Heartbreakers never play a gig? Belgium, Spain, Germany, or France? So according to Setlist.fm, the band played three gigs in Belgium, eight gigs in France, and 22 in Germany, but not a single show in Spain. And I've always caveated uh, gig stats, you know, as I know that Setlist.fm isn't completely comprehensive, but overall you can still look at percentages and draw some fairly significant conclusions. One of those is that it's incredible how few shows the Heartbreakers played outside the US. Of the 1,300 that the Setlist database holds, 1,124 or 86.5% were in the US, with the UK and Canada being second and third, and those 22 gigs in Germany being fourth by some margin from every other country. Now, I can't find the comment on Facebook, but a fan I was talking to about this posited that it could have been that, being a heavy smoker, Tom might not have enjoyed travel quite so much, but back in the 80s and 90s, smoking on airplanes was definitely still allowed, so I don't know if that's the only reason. So it's another question that I'll have to put to one of the band if I ever get to chat to one of them, and hopefully I do. Your question for this week is as follows. As well as Tom and Mike, which other heartbreaker has a writing credit on Stevie Nicks' album, Belladonna? Okay, back to the song. I wanted to quickly say that Ron Blair does a sublime job of staying conspicuously out of the way on this track. On a song that's heart is the lyric and the very gentle interplay between the two vocal tracks, you can't have too much going on. So Stan is given a little more license to be more, you know, I don't know, percussively aggressive, and he just put in some great fills, while Ron really just holds that steady bass groove down. Even during the bridge, where he definitely would have a little more license to be more assertive, again, that arrangement skill comes in on this record, where and a combination of Jimmy Iovine's influence and the Heartbreakers' growing understanding of studio craft recognises that you just don't need a big walking bass line in this song at any point. You also get that masterstroke of dropping the bass out completely for that last verse to give those lyrics in that final verse all the more space to just knock you out. So let's talk about the lyrics and this vocal performance. 
We'll start with the latter first. Um, I was talking about this recently with someone and mentioned that even the greatest vocalists in the world sometimes don't, they just don't quite mesh. It can be a frequency thing or a delivery style thing, but usually it's chemistry thing and you simply can't fake that. You can't fake chemistry. Some voices just work together and Tom Petty and Stevie Nicks voices fit together utterly perfectly. The main vocal genius of this song though is how reserved it is. Neither singer goes into their highest range at any point, neither is competing. Like the the non-solo, um, this isn't a traditional duet where each singer takes a lead in alternating verses. It's not even a song written for a second vocal part, really, but that decision to have Tom and Stevie sing the whole thing really makes it work. Then you have Stevie sing the harmony the whole way through and Tom the lead. Then, then you have Stevie singing the third part harmony through the first verse, pre-chorus and chorus, and then the second verse, and then she switches up to that fifth part harmony for the second and third pre-choruses, to really hold that back and not overuse that angelic voice. But when it does come out in that higher range, it just elevates the song to yet another level. And Tom just sits on the melody and sings it really pretty straight, but good God, it's a sincere performance. At the time the song was written, Tom was going through his battle with the record company to keep the album priced at eight ninety eight rather than the nine ninety eight Rockstar price that the MCA wanted to put in place. And that turmoil in his life really comes through in this lyric. I'm more than willing to go on record and say that this is in the top 10, maybe top five lyrics Tom ever wrote, or certainly in my top five, top 10 of my favorites. Um, we talked on this record already about Tom coming of age as a storyteller on Our Promises, but this song is 100% raw emotion. And it was written, obviously, with one eye on you know writing a song specifically for Stevie Nicks, but I'm sure that as soon as the shape of the song started to really solidify you know, that whole thing became a secondary consideration. And I would further contend that if you rearrange the structure only ever so slightly, this could be one of the world's great poems. Let's just say you put the three, you know, verse pre-choruses sequentially and then finish with the chorus. It has an almost Byron-esque tragedy to it. And that last verse, I kind of touched on it earlier. I think it's among the very finest that Tom ever wrote. I'll bet you're his masterpiece. I'll bet you're his self-control. Yeah, you'll become his legacy his quiet world of white and gold. And I'm the one who ought to know. I'm the one you left to rust. Not one of your twisted friends. I'm the one you couldn't love. It's such a sublimely self-contained piece of melancholy. On the one hand, it's about someone bearing their soul to their lover. But if you look at it through the lens of that dispute with MCA and view it as a sort of a self-referential piece of prose, it takes on a different and far deeper meaning, you know, if you want to interpret it that way. The last four lines especially are a cry of a frustrated artist. I'm the one who ought to know. I'm the one you left to rust. And that duality that Tom was able to place into his songs is one of the main things that keeps me coming back time after time after time. I've had to live with some heart promises. I've crawled through the briars. Brilliantly, beautifully ambiguous. Okay, folks, that's all for this week. Insider Ranks is another one of my very favorite Tom Petty compositions, and certainly lyrically. It's a very simple song musically, but again, that's just a case of making sure that that dual vocal and the impact of the lyrics are front and center. And just imagine if Tom had kept Stop Dragging My Heart Around and had been able to release this as a single. I genuinely think it would have been a number one, and I think it would have just, again, ramped Tom's career up yet another level. It's also surprising that so many people don't know this song. I was talking to my best mate, Randy, about it, the guy who does all my music for the podcast, and he wasn't familiar with this one at all. It also wasn't released, so it wasn't on the greatest hits, so unless you're a fan or maybe even a Stevie Nicks fan, chances are you might just have missed this one altogether. For me, Insider is a nailed-on, all-day, all-night, 10 out of 10. 
It's vulnerable, it's tender, it's bitter, it's desperate, and most of all, it's just searingly beautiful. Yeah, you're the dark angel. It don't show when you break up. I'm going to drop a video in the episode notes of Tom playing the song for the Heartbreakers on his acoustic guitar and listen to how damn good that raw cut, you know, through a video camera mic is. I'll also throw up a live version with Stevie from the Running Down a Dream Doc. Uh, you know, from looking back to setlist.fm, this song wasn't played live very often, and mainly that's because any time it was performed, it was performed with Stevie Nicks. So I love that Tom kept this world-beating song back because it would only work with a very specific vocalist on harmony. Just such a glorious musical relationship. Please remember that you can continue to support humanitarian efforts in the Ukraine in many different ways, and I would urge you to do so if you have the means, even if you had already, Please just go and help these people out because there are so many displaced Ukrainian immigrants, you people still in the country who need our help. Anything you can give, $1, $2, $5, it all helps. Um, as always, I've added a link to the Red Cross donation page in the episode notes, and I'll continue to do that until the crisis is over. Um, don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. You can also find me on YouTube. Uh, so go again, follow, like, subscribe as applicable, and please leave a review or a rating if you haven't done that already. And I was reading through reviews today. I've had some really lovely reviews on on, uh, Apple Podcasts. So thank you to those people who left a review. It means the world to me. Um, Keep talking to me on social media. Uh, And again, if I don't get back to you on Instagram as quickly as I do on Facebook or Twitter, forgive me. I just don't do Instagram quite as much. The Tom Petty Project is not affiliated with the Tom Petty Estate in any way. And when you're looking for Tom's music, please first visit the official YouTube channel to try to find what you're looking for or go to Sirius.xm. If you're looking for official merchandise, please go to TomPetty.com. Don't give your money to people who are, you know, making profit off Tom's legacy and off Tom's name. Uh, Please don't forget to check out the Tom Petty Nation and Tom Petty Fans Forever groups on Facebook if you're not already a member, as they're excellent fan communities and well worth hanging out in. And I've met some fantastic friends through those groups already. Um, So until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy. And I'll be back with you next week to talk about the penultimate track from our promises, The Criminal Kind. Bye-bye.